All right. So we are here today uh, to celebrate Jesus Christ. He's our King of kings and Lord of lords, right? And he is our everything. And he is the one that causes all of our lives to be possible. He has guaranteed us eternal life. We focus many times and naturally on what this life offers and what's happening in this life. But Jesus Christ says, I'm bringing you into eternal life. I, I, times like what our family's just been through, Lisa and Shelly, and, and uh, they just appreciate all of your support so much with the passing of their father. But it's in moments like that when we, when we begin to think, man, I wonder what it's like to pass from this world into another. Just wonder, what's the first thing? What's the, what's, what do you hear? What do you see? I think of all those things. What is eternity going to be like? It's just amazing to think about. Of course, we have some of those answers, a, a, a dim vision of that through the Word of God, which is enough for us to have tremendous faith in Christ for and an anticipation of eternal life. And that's what Christ came to give us. In the meantime, I think as a kind of a fringe benefit, he gives us blessings here. And he, he causes our life to be in abundance here. But the real abundant life is yet to come. And there, there was a, a guy named Martin Luther who uh, got this whole thing about being free in Christ and Christ alone. We celebrate a lot of things. And today we're celebrating and honoring Martin Luther and, and uh, recognizing 504 years since the anniversary of what would be marked as the Reformation, but there were a lot of things that led up to that point in time. We celebrate things like birthdays and weddings, and of course, Veterans Day is coming up, Independence Day, Thanksgiving, Christmas, all of these things. We celebrate those events because it brings us in a close connection to them in the event that transpired or the person that we're honoring. So we bring ourselves to this day of celebrating, and this, of course, marks the 504th year uh, since the turning point of the Reformation. You have your Bibles, please turn to the book of Romans, chapter number three. And we're going to read uh, eight verses in that uh, uh, chapter. And uh, Romans chapter number three. It was through the study of the book of Romans that Martin Luther really came to the realization that um, the Catholic Church in that season, in that time, was way off base. It was so far off base that it, it needed a complete and total overhaul. And uh, I'm not saying that's what he tried to do. He was just trying to say, you guys have gone too far. This is way out of bounds. It's way unscriptural. And so he, he brought a completion, if you will, not even a completion, but a turning point in uh, the Reformation. Romans chapter 3, verse 21 to 28. Romans 3, 21 reads like this, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by this grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. And he did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just 
and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. Because of what law? The law that requires works? No, because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. We were to take a quick look at the Catholic Church, which is Catholic means universal, in that time period, in that season. We would come up with a couple of words to describe the Catholic Church. One would be vast. It was absolutely enormous in many um, uh, perspectives, but one would be geographically, of course. And it was very controlling. It was the controlling factor of religion uh, in much of the world. And it was manipulative. Uh, they manipulated people's money. They manipulated people's thoughts. They manipulated um, all that they could in order to gain power in people's lives, which generally equates to uh, money. And it was also murderous. Uh, the Catholic Church was a murderous organization. And there's no way around that. It's, it's sad when, when um, uh, there is a body of people who say they are followers of Christ. And if you don't agree with what they agree with or what they teach, they kill you. Let that sink in for a moment. So you're like, well, is that what Jesus would do? No. So if you're a follower of Jesus, but that's what you do, are you really a follower of Jesus? And that was really a big question. One of the biggest problems in the Catholic Church in that day was what is called indulgences. Now, here's a couple of pictures of indulgences, which we might be enjoying in a few moments. I'm not sure. But that's not the type of indulgence that the Catholic Church was talking about at that time. The, the Catholic Church, the indulgences were basically a payment to the church for a lesser punishment in purgatory or a, a shorter period of time in purgatory. And it was a, you can pay now and enjoy later. You can pay the church now and after you die and you're wherever you are, it'll be better for you. Okay, so that's, that's what was the indulgences were. There were a couple of supporting actors, if you will, in this. John Wycliffe was one. He was born in 1320. Of course, the Wycliffe Bible translators, uh, that's where that uh, name comes from. He gave us the first English translation of the New Testament. He was um, deeply impacted by the scriptures, and he studied the scriptures um, vehemently. And he opposed the indulgences and the purgatory and the, and the Pope's authority. Another person was John Huss. He was born in 1369. He had attended the University of Prague. He was an ordained priest. And um, shortly after reading some of John Wycliffe's uh, reform theology, if you will, he really talked much about the Roman Catholic Church's excesses. And... Um, he was burned at the stake because he disagreed with the Catholic Church and taught something different than what they taught. Martin Luther was born in 1483. Of course, we are just uh, nine years separated from the Columbuses uh, sailing to America. And he was an uh, Augustine um, monk. He was part of the monastery. He went to college. He taught. He was a part of the Roman Catholic Church. But in 1513, he lectured on the Psalms. 
Two years later in 1515, he lectured on the book of Romans, which that was the turning point in his life and in his theological studies that caused him to realize that the Catholic Church had gone off and that the scriptures alone are what guides us and leads us, not what a leader says or a council says, but it comes back to the word of God. We need leaders. We might need counsel if you want to call them councils, but they cannot supersede the word of God. So in 1515, he had a big debate in Germany in which they, he held that the scriptures were the authority of God and not the church council. But in October 31st, 1517, he posted what is referred to as the 95 Thesis on the front door of the Castle Church in Wittenberg, Germany. Many people look at that as this in your face, I'm posting this on your front door, so you have to look, you know, you have to see it when you come into church. And really that was a very common uh, practice. It wasn't unusual at all. It was kind of like posting on a social site or something like that. You want to debate? Here, let's start a debate. And that's basically what he was doing. The 95 thesis is a 95 statements. It's 95 statements that he found in scripture that were in opposition to what the Catholic Church in that time was teaching. And so it's 95 statements. Now, if you read the statements, you're gonna disagree with a lot of them. I do, uh, I, don't, I don't agree with all of them. Some of them are, you just read and you go, well, that's very much 1500s. <laughs> I wasn't alive then and don't know what was going on then, but that's 1500s. I don't even know what they're talking about. But others, are, you're looking at it and you're going like, Okay, whatever. The whole the whole scenario is off base. So you know, you can anyway. So there, are, but there are the 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 key points are the ones that we come up with and we recognize that this gives us this bedrock of what we would call Protestantism. What is Protestantism? It is the breakaway from the Catholic Church, which started. If you're a Baptist, you're a Protestant. You're Lutheran, duh, Martin Luther. Okay, Episcopalian, okay, we can go down the list, right? It is a breakaway that says, you guys are off base. This is, this is not right, and we want to follow Scripture alone. And so um, there's, you know, looking at Luther pinning that on the door, what he was basically saying is somewhat what we take here at Hope Crossings. This is something that we do at Hope Crossings, and that is when we're trying to figure out if something's really important or not, we use three words, pencil, ink, and blood. If you've been to Hope 101, you've heard us talk about that. If you haven't, you need to go Hope 101 and find out more about it. But pencil, ink, and blood is basically when we're looking at something and we're trying to decide, is this really important? Because every family needs to deal with things that are pencil, ink, and blood. Every church family needs to deal with things that are pencil, ink, and blood. You never write a contract in pencil, right? Because it can be changed. You know, some things you want changed later. You, you look at that and you go like, you know what, I, I like that, but I don't know if, I think I'm going to write that in pencil because I may want to come back with an eraser later. You know, some people believe that unless you have a choir, you're not a church. So this is our first Sunday being a church. <laughs> so you say, no, that's a pencil issue. You know, the church has, you know, you know can the pastor wear jeans? I hope so. You know, and still be, okay, those are pencil issues, pencil, pencil. Okay, then there's ink issues. Those are more convictions. Those are not pencil issues. They're more important, but they're real convictions to our lives, and, and we take them as personal. This is important to me, but just because it's important to me doesn't mean that you have to abide by what I think is important. 
Does a Christian, can a Christian have a glass of wine or not? Well, some people have made that a like heaven or hell issue. And I'm like, I'm sorry, you're wrong. That is an ink issue. It's a personal conviction. What is God telling you to do? And not everybody else has to do what God's telling you to do. There's a couple murmured amens in there. Because for, I mentioned wine, and you're afraid to say amen over wine, right? You're like, okay. There's a whole host of other issues in that, all right? But now the blood issues, that's where, that's where we go, you know what? These are sink or swim issues. Is God the God of the universe? That's, that's a blood issue. Did God create man and Adam and Eve? That's, that's a blood issue, okay? Is he perfect? That's a blood issue. Did Jesus Christ, was he born of a virgin? That's a blood issue. That, you don't change that. We can't change that and still continue to go down the path together. Those are issues that are blood issues, okay? Did Jesus Christ rise from the dead? That's a big blood issue. That's double blood issue, okay? So those things are really important. That's what Luther was doing. He was saying, like, guys, these are issues we've got to talk about. These are issues that we've got to deal with. And so he posted that and those 95 statements on the door of the church to say, let's have a debate. Let's talk about this because we're going to go to Scripture and we're going to find out what is right for the church. And that's where we find the five solace, if we want to call them that. Number one is by grace alone, number two, through faith alone, and then through Christ alone, according to Scripture alone, for the glory of God alone. Those are the things that, that this whole 95 Thesis really boiled down to. It was, that was the culmination of it all. And that's where we find this, uh, these uh, five solas. So it's by grace alone. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace you are saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, lest any man should boast. And every Christian usually comes to that point in time. I'm not, you, nobody has perfect faith, and certainly even when we're born again, we don't have perfect faith in that moment. But we come to that place where he says, I need a Savior, and it's by the grace of God that we are saved. And it is the work of the enemy that tries to come in and intercept that and try to come in and pollute that to where we are saved by grace, yes, but through faith, yes. But then over the years, if we're not careful, the enemy will try and come in and say, oh, well, you have to do this, and you also have to do that, and well, you then you have to do this and that, and you fill in the blank on what those things are. And I would say today that at Hope Crossings, God is wanting to free some people of those things that are trying to intercept your relationship with God trying to muddy the waters and try to make it more difficult for you to approach God. Well, in order for you to go to God, you know, you did that thing last week and oh, well, you know, you have this attitude and you know, this isn't perfect over there. And God is saying, no, you, we can approach God freely to receive the grace that we need to live by. And God has given us a faith to live by, not just in a Sunday, not just in moments of need, but a faith that we live by every single day. We approach God the Father through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And in the name of Jesus, nothing is going to get in the way. Then we have through faith alone. Romans 1.17 says, For the gospel, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from its first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. By faith alone by grace alone, by Christ alone, by faith alone, we come before him and we say, God, I am placing my faith in the merits of Jesus Christ, his perfection, his sinlessness, his death. He didn't faint on the cross. He died on the cross. 
and he was buried. He was dead and he was buried, but he lives today and he lives forevermore to ensure that you and I know he's conquered death, hell, and the grave. And so we come before him in faith. It is not by works. It's not a matter of I got, I got to do a certain amount to get faith. No, get, the faith of God is just as much a gift to you as the grace of God. For to every man is given a measure of faith. A measure of faith. Yes, we study scripture. Yes, we are faithful to God and that increases our faith. But that seed of faith is a gift from God that every one of us have. It's by grace alone, by faith alone, and in Christ alone. Verse Peter 2, 5 and 2 and 5 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. Huge issue with Martin Luther and in the Catholic Church, but also with Protestants. Wake up. Also with us. And that is this. I've got to have somebody between me and God. And the Word of God says that can only be Christ. Now, I, I just want to get a little personal right here for a moment, and I want to say I appreciate so much uh, you recognizing my birthday today and Pastor Appreciation Day. Thank you so much. I appreciate the honor that you give me as the pastor, and I appreciate the respect you give me. You guys, are you're a blessing to my life. Thank you, thank you, thank you. But I'm going to tell you something you already know. This is not a surprise or a shock to anybody. I am fallible. I am not perfect. It is possible I make mistakes. If you've been around here any length of time, you've seen some of them. But I assure you, you've only seen some of them. I am not your mediator between God. I'm not qualified. I could never do that. You stand before God alone. I'm blessed to be a part of your Christian journey, but you don't need me to get to God. Jesus Christ is the only one for that job. Amen? And, I, and I'm, I'm so glad we get that. I'm so glad that we understand that. You, you, uh, thank you for doing But I just, I want to assure you, man, it's you and Jesus on the way to eternity, and I'm, I'm just one little blip in your journey, and I'm just honored to be that little blip, but I'm so thankful that we preach Christ. I'm so thankful that we're not afraid at Hope Crossings uh, to say, hey, pastor, I need, I need some further understanding on that statement. Hey, pastor, I don't know if I agree with that. People have, people have come to me and done that, and I welcome that. You've heard me say it before. It's possible I could teach something wrong. It's possible I could mess it up. Call me on the carpet for that. Do it nicely. <laughs> I have feelings, too. Take me out to the stake. That always warms me up, okay? <laughs> Get my stomach full and tell me anything. It's Christ alone. And that's huge for us to remember. It's not an evangelist. It's not a pastor. It's not a whoever. It's Christ alone. Okay, you got it. Through Scripture alone. 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. I want, to make, I want to dive down a little bit further in this for the next couple of moments, and that is this. The Word of God, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching and rebuking and all that. If we're not careful, we'll get the idea, oh, that's, that the, the Scriptures are given to the, 
pastors and the prophets and the evangelists and the teachers so that they can keep us in line or whatever. No, the word of God is given to every person. The word of God is given to all of us. It is, it is for us to first reprove our own lives and to rebuke ourselves and to correct ourselves. And then in the right relationship and the right setting to use that to minister grace and love and forgiveness to other people. It's not just for the pastor. It's not just for the teacher. It's for every one of us. And so every one of us have a responsibility to dive into God's word, learn the word of God and let it be be just implemented within our life, into our daily life, to be all that God's called us to be. The scripture is so powerful for us because it keeps us out of the weeds, if you will. It keeps us from allowing those things to try to get in between us and God. The word of God separates that, just pulls them away and says, no, nothing is getting in between me and God. And nothing's gonna get between me and the body of Christ. We are one unit. We are one. We have lived through two years of the enemy trying to separate us. I'm not talking about hope crossings. I'm talking about the world. But we're in the world. We've lived through two years of the enemy constantly bombarding us. You need to fall on this side of the argument. No, you need to fall on this side. Let me tell you something. The devil's on both sides. He doesn't care. He's messing it up on both sides, pitting one against the other. He doesn't care what the argument is. He doesn't care at all. You, haven't you heard the joke? The church split. Why'd they split? Because of the color of the carpet. I guess you haven't heard that joke. Okay. All right. You look at me like. Why do churches split? Usually over stupid stuff like the color of the carpet. The devil's on both sides. He don't care the color of the carpet. He didn't care if the church has carpet. He doesn't really. It, it's just what, what can I pit one against the other? Mask, no mask, vaccine, no vaccine. He's on both sides of the argument. Because all he's trying to do is pit one against the other. It doesn't matter to him what the argument is. And in the name of Jesus Christ, I'm so thankful that that spirit of division is not in Hope Crossing. I'm so thankful for that because we recognize what unites us is always stronger than what divides us. What unites us is stronger than what divides us. And so let things come, let things go. It's going to be okay. We're following Jesus Christ. We're doing it together. You recognize that uh, nobody's perfect in this room. Nobody's perfect in this building. But together we are amazing. Together we're awesome because Jesus makes us awesome. And if we'll just stay with him and stay together, everything's going to be fine. Amen? Amen. All right, got to move a little faster. Fifthly, to the glory of God alone. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do to the glory of God. Whatever you're doing, whatever it is, you get up in the morning, make your bed, do it to the glory of God. You fix breakfast for your kids, do it to the glory of God. You go to work, do it to the glory of God. Whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. And you come to church and you're here, do it to the glory of God. Whatever your ministry is, whatever you think your ministry is, whatever you can do, whatever, whatever, whatever is right in front of you, just do it to the glory of God. And what happens? Man, God is glorified. The church is built up and strengthened. And there's nothing that can stop a unified body of Christ. Nothing. God wants us to know today that there's a priesthood of all believers. God doesn't 
look at people and say, well, well, I've called you to, to, to be a pastor, a evangelist, or a prophet, and then everybody else is just down here. No, no, we're all at level ground at the cross. There's level ground at the cross. We have different functions within the body, no doubt, but every one of them is important. And there's the priesthood of all believers. Therefore, we do not need a priest to get to God. We need Jesus Christ to get to God, and that alone. Amen? There are a couple of things. I just close with this. Four things real quickly. Number one is how, how, how do we just keep this going? Number one is the Word of God. If we are going to be the body of Christ that God has intended for us in the future, if we're going to move into what God's called us to do, it is through the Word of God. The Word of God is our firm foundation. The Word of God keeps us from getting into errors and getting into things that distract us away from Christ and, and allowing things to come in between us and Christ. It's the Word of God. So we've got to read the Word and study the Word and say, well, I, I used to do that. Do it again. Get back into it. There's plenty of studies online. There's plenty of resources. They're all over the place. Get into God's Word and study God's Word. Say, well, I don't understand it. I got news for you. Just, just a little secret. Don't tell anybody. I don't understand everything in the Word of God either. There's some things I read, and I'm going like, what? It's, I've been doing this 38 years. And there's still stuff I'm like, one day, maybe I'll figure it out. But I'm not going to let that stop me from going forward with what I do know. All right? All right, I was getting ready to say something's way off base. I need to go. I was going to talk about husbands and wives. We don't want to go there. <laughs> Prayer. Prayer. We've got to pray. We, we've got to get on our knees, on our face before God and pray. I, I just, again, I want to share with you a little bit. Um, probably for the last four months, five months, I've not been on my A game. And uh, I want to apologize to you for that. But I, I want you to know also I'm, I'm making remedies for that. And I'm, I'm spending more time in prayer, more time in just focused prayer to say, God, what's up? What, what is it? Where are we going? How are we getting there? Let's go. Uh, I'm, I'm starting to do a little bit better job of taking care of uh, this body that God gave me and uh, the mind that God's given me. And so we've got to get on our knees and, and pray and say, God, what is your will? What, what are you revealing to the body of Christ? What are you doing in our community to bring the kingdom of God in strength and power? Prayer. Thirdly is the Holy Spirit. Man, aren't you thankful Jesus said, I, if I go away, the Father will send the Holy Spirit back to you. That's why I need to go back. He said, I need to go away back to the Father. He said, if I go back, the, the Father's going to send the Holy Spirit. He's going to lead you into all truth. You're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You're going to have power to witness. You're going to have power to live the Christian life. You're going to have power to talk to other people about me. You're going to have power in your life. He said, that's how important it is. We've got to be dependent on the Holy Spirit. Listen, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father in heaven. The Holy Spirit is here now. The Holy Spirit is within you and within me. And we need to say, God, how, how can I better walk in step with the Spirit? That's what the Holy Spirit wrote to the Galatians. Walk in the Spirit, and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You know, perfect picture of that, I guess. Maybe perfect. I don't know. Perfect. But, you know, the three-legged race that you did as kids? That's kind of what it's... That's what, if you can just be tethered to the Holy Spirit, that's just kind of, and at first it's kind of like, oh, oh, why aren't you doing what I want to do? And he's going, why aren't you doing what I want to do? But if we'll walk this way, yeah, but your way's the wrong way. 
You need to walk my way. That's what the Holy Spirit tells every one of us. You need to walk my way at my pace with my stride. But my stride's bigger. Yeah, you're going to get out ahead of yourself. Just walk in step with the Spirit. Walk in step. And then lastly is the body of Christ. The body of Christ. We need one another. I don't have to have you and you don't have to have me to go to heaven. Amen. Amen. But boy, until we get there, I need you and you need me. We need each other, right? That's important. One of the greatest lessons I, I learned about this, I learned while I was in the Atlanta penitentiary. You're, you're laughing at my life of crime? I, I, I might have had two of you fooled, but that's probably about it, right? I was in the Atlanta Penitentiary, I promise. I really was. I haven't always been a Christian. I was there for about two hours. I was preaching one night. It wasn't a big deal. I, no, but I didn't fool anybody, did I? I did go there one night. A guy had had a, a ministry there in the Atlanta Penitentiary, and he wanted me to, they did a worship service, I think, once a month, and he asked me to come and preach. And I was like, wow, that's a new congregation uh, for the night, but I you know, I said, yeah, I was 30-ish, about 30 years old. And so, uh, can I just, can I, can I just talk to you about the darkness of my own heart and life? Because at 30 years old, I'm going to go to the Atlanta Penitentiary. I'm an ordained minister. And so, obviously, I'm walking there going, well, I'm the man of God in this situation. They're all sinners. They don't know anything about the Bible. That's why they're in the Atlanta Penitentiary. Now, I didn't say that out loud. I'm not stupid, but I'm thinking it in my heart. I'm just thinking, I, you know, I'm, so before we go in there and, you know, getting ready for the worship service, and I, I think I needed a drink of water, so I went, you know, that's, that's scary right there. But anyway, um, so I went back there, and one of, the, one of the guys, a prisoner, he said, hey, man, you here preaching tonight? I said, yeah, yeah. I probably said it like, yeah, but <laughs> tone it down a little bit. Um, and he said, hey, man, I got a question for you. And I thought, oh, here's my time to shine. And he said, man, you know, when Adam and Eve sinned, he said, and they got kicked out of the garden. He said, most people think they got kicked out of the garden because they sinned. Is that what you think? And, of course, I was getting ready to go into a great discourse on Genesis chapter 3. And, you know, and he goes, kind of interrupted me, which was a great thing because I didn't embarrass myself. And I said, well, yeah, they sinned and everything. And he says, man, here's what I think. He said, I think they got kicked out of the garden because of the tree of life was in the garden also. And if they had eaten from the tree of life, they would have lived forever just like that in a sinful state. And because God didn't let them eat from the tree of life, he kicked them out of the garden. That way their body dies so they can be resurrected and they get a new body. I was like, yeah, that's what I believe, yeah. That's what I believe, that's right. I had not put all those dots together yet, you know. What did I learn? We need the body of Christ. I don't care how old you are, how young you are, how rich you are, poor you are. I don't care. It does not, we need the body of Christ because we learn from one another. Amen? Amen. Amen.